21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik. So Martin, I think the, the interesting thing and what we found and sort of what my life's passion is now is talking to as many entrepreneurs. Telling them there's a better business model today. And I really believe that. And if you look at the success rate of entrepreneurs out there starting product first businesses, it's miserable. And by, you know, when you have most entrepreneurs fail in the first three years, five years for sure. And what are they all doing that's the same? They're all leading with a product. And so the idea that I talk about in my new book, Content Inc., is the idea of, of what if we didn't lead product first? What if we started by building an audience that knows, likes, and trusts us? We basically deliver content on some platform, whether that's a blog or whether it's YouTube or Twitch or whatever, but we build that audience first. That audience comes to know, like, and trust us. And then once we build that audience, we can develop seven, eight, 10 different revenue streams. We can create our own products. We can do consulting services. You can sell advertising. You can create your own events. You can do an affiliate program. I think it is the best business model because it, no, first of all, it takes time, Martin. I mean, we, it takes time to do this. It takes, you have to deliver consistently, but you don't need a lot of capital up front. So you and I can launch businesses like this because you're doing the same thing where you, you basically, it can be you for a while until you get things going. And then once you build that audience, what we see is hockey stick type growth. So you basically get to about nine to 12 months, you start to get into revenue. Then about 18 months, 24 months, you start to diversify into other platforms. And then about three years, you go from, okay, I'm making money to, oh, I'm really making a lot of money. And that's what we saw when, when my wife and I launched Content Marketing Institute. I really believe in the model. I've, I'm launching this model again. I believe in it so much. And in the new book, we just break down the idea that there is a business model around this. And I just think that with all the content creation out there, with all the kids and, uh, you know, and boomers and Jet Xers out there that are getting into new careers, trying to build audiences and create all this content, we see a lot of content that's just going all over the place, but there actually is a methodology to doing this well, to building an opt-in audience over time, to knowing that audience better than anyone else, and then delivering something unique to them. Um, I think it's the best way to start a business today. I started in business to business publishing and found this idea called custom publishing or custom media, where instead of advertising, instead of interrupting customers, that businesses would start telling their own story and their own channels. And, and basically what, what I did at the time is I ran a department for a publishing company that did custom magazines. So we did, you know, thick custom magazines delivered through the post to particular audiences. And then as Google was created, search engines were created, as Facebook and Twitter came out, I said, oh man, you're gonna have a lot of businesses that are gonna have to learn how to tell their own story and create a lot of content because you've got all these pipes available and nothing to go in the pipes. And so I left that job as, after learning about this thing that we now call content marketing and started in 2007, what became Content Marketing Institute. And I started it exactly the way that we were talking about. I just said, okay, who's my audience? My audience was enterprise marketers. 
And I just every three times a week, I delivered a how to blog post to that audience and basically tried to solve their pain points and answer their questions around this new thing called content marketing. Well, from 2007 to 2010, we built 25, 30,000 opt-in email subscribers. So we were doing okay. And then what happened is, is that this loyal audience that we built started to tell me exactly what to launch. They say, Joe, you know, we really like some corporate training. Is there a way that you could launch some corporate training programs? Joe, uh, is there, are there any big, large scale in-person events for content marketing? Of course, these are things, Martin, that I didn't plan on doing, but my audience is telling me to launch them. So in 2010 and 2011, we launched the training and then we launched Content Marketing World, our big event, which started, I was hoping for, you know, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. We were hoping for a hundred people to attend the first event in Cleveland, Ohio. We ended up getting 660 people from 17 countries. And three years later, we had 4,000 delegates from over 50 countries. So I, th that's how Content Marketing Institute was born from the idea of if you target an audience and you deliver on their needs for a long period of time consistently, then the audience will tell you exactly what they want to buy from you. And then of course we launched all sorts of things, affiliate programs, advertising programs, training programs, awards programs. And we were able to monetize that 15, 16, 17 different ways and had a very, you know, built that program up from nothing and then in 2016, my wife and I had a very successful exit and we sold the company. And you know, now I'm all focusing on individual content creators with the new company called The Tilt. But I still believe in this whole idea of, you know, this content first audience first model. Um, and if I had to start another business today, I would do the exact same thing. Because as we talked about before, I, you don't need a lot of money up front to start a business like this. You need focus, you need to focus on a platform, you need to figure out what we call in the book, the content tilt. What is that area of differentiation that is not a lot of competition on the web so you can break through all that content clutter, consistently deliver, whether that's on a podcast or a blog or on TikTok or YouTube or Twitch or whatever, over a long period of time, build your audience, and then you can go ahead and, and launch your revenue opportunities, which there are many. So that's how CMI was born. It was funny because the first version of Content Inc., which I wrote in 2015, was basically my story of here's how we did Content Marketing Institute with not a lot of money. And then I had some case studies sprinkled in. And now the new book, uh, Content Inc. version two, now I've got hundreds of case studies from all over the world about people doing this exact same model. And, and now you have it being one of the fastest growing businesses out there because you, you only need a smartphone. People only need a smartphone to do this business model today. You don't need an office. You can do it from anywhere in the world. You just need an internet connection and a phone. So it's, it's really crazy how far we've come in the last 20 years. I think the thing that, that I did, and I was lucky to read a book uh, like Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. I was a big fan of Stephen Covey. Um, I love the book. It's a science fiction book. It's called Stranger in a Strange Land from Robert Heinlein, but that's where I learned the art of focus. 
don't do too many things at one time. Do do just one thing. And they talk about that a lot in that book. And so I started the business, this new thing. I didn't know what it was going to be in 2007. And from these other books and influences, I said, Joe, you've got to focus and you've got to develop goals. So I developed a goal setting program and I'm happy to share it with you. So basically, I started writing down my goals in six key categories. So what I would do is I, I had these categories. One was, you know, my career category, wealth, uh, financial, um, my family goals, my spiritual goals, my mental goals, and my uh, philanthropic goals. So my giving goals, what am I doing that's not just business related? And then under each one of those, I put a measurable goal written down, one or two of them, no more than that. And what I would do then, once I would get that, and by the way, they would change and I would adapt them all the time. But what I did that nobody else did, I mean, I'm finding out more people, but at the time I didn't know this, I reviewed my goals in the any when I got up in the morning and before I went to sleep at night. And I did that over and over and over again. And That's one of my frequently. goals, yeah, for very frequently, because what I wanted to do was, and I did that on purpose. And the reason why I did it is, I would review before I went to sleep because I wanted my brain overnight to start thinking about these problems because the subconscious brain can do amazing things. So I'm like, okay, work on that. And then when I would get up in the morning, I would read them again because what a lot of people do where they're not as productive as they could is let's say you get up and you want to check your emails first thing in the morning. Well, that's not very productive. But if I read my goal and I would read my career goal, my career goal said, by 2015, I want to sell my business. I will sell my business for at least $15 million US. And I read that thing for seven years, <laughs> twice a day. And what happened is, was I would get up in the morning, I would do things in order to accomplish that goal. As even that, that was a pipe dream at the time. I had no money in 2007, 2008 when I was reading this goal. It seemed so egotistical and overambitious. But as I read that over and over and I'm getting into 2010 and 11 and 12, I'm starting to get closer to that goal. And I would keep doing that over and over again. And that goal setting process got me so far. And so I was a big believer in this idea of, you know, what are your goals? You know, write them down first, write them and then review them every day. And then if you do those two things, write and review, the third thing is you want to remove. So in order to accomplish those goals, what are you going to remove in your way that's getting in your way of accomplishing those goals? So that means I would say, look, I'm watching two hours of television every day. That's not helping me reach those goals. I can maybe deal with a half hour or an hour of downtime entertainment, but two hours is too much. So I've got to cut that back. Or I'm reading too many business books. Maybe I should put in a, a mystery thriller book in there. So I mix it up a little bit because believe it or not, I get some of my best business ideas while I'm reading a non-business book. So these are the kinds of things that I mixed in there. And now I've got a pretty good formula for, for life success. And then I love the different categories, Martin, because, okay, yes, we're, we're entrepreneurs. We're talking about career success. We all want to be rich. We all want to be financially stable. That's fine. But they're all equal weight when you have physical, you have spiritual, you have mental, you have family goals. Those are all very important for you to be a well-rounded human being. So I want to make sure that every day I didn't just focus on, okay, what am I going to do to have a successful exit today? I want to know what am I going to do today to spend time with my kids? What am I going to do today to spend time with my spouse? You know, those, those are the things I want to concentrate on just like anything else. 21st Century Entrepreneurship 
with Martin Piskarik. And you believe in uh, focusing, persistency, flexibility, what kind of uh, approach for achieving things that you, you were talking about? Well, the, the boy, if I had to say, it's, it's funny because uh, especially when people look at content marketing and content creation entrepreneurs, they're always talking about, oh, I've got to have a different story or I've got to have something amazing that I share on YouTube or Twitch or whatever. And I'll say, yeah, those things can be important and sometimes they are, but the most important thing is delivering consistently over a long period of time. It's actually quite boring. And if you're saying like, what is, what's the greatest entrepreneurial gift I have? It's probably patience because it takes three years. It takes four years. I mean, and then, by the way, this is any entrepreneur. I mean, it, the, the unicorn, the billion dollar unicorns that hit it in a year or two years, those are less than 1% of 1%. They're very hard to come around. What most successful businesses take many years of growth and iteration in order to make it. And that's been my experience. So I, you know, I started my business in 2007 and we, I didn't know it was going to be successful till the middle of 2010. And to the end of 2009, I was looking for a job. I'm like, I'm a complete failure. This thing is not going to work. What am I doing? And then six months later, I went, so I went from complete failure at the end of 2009 to the middle of 2010. I'm like, oh, this thing's going to work. I can't believe it. So it's that idea of patience. And it's so, uh, it's kind of sad to me, Martin, because a lot of my friends that launched businesses, they were the ones that gave up after 12 months, 18 months. And they said, you know, it's not working. And I'm like, look, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to prepare that it's going to take three plus years to make it. You've got to put in the work to do that. Now, if you've got a billion dollars to spend, sure, you can speed up that process. But if you're doing, if you're bootstrapping this thing, you know, it's, it takes two, three, four years to make it. So it's, it's the patience and it's the delivering consistently. And that's the thing where when we started our blog at Content Marketing Institute, or we started our podcast called This Old Marketing, we started that in 2013, or we started our webinar series, which was monthly, or we did our research, which we did every year at the same time. We all, when we went out and we made a promise, we always delivered on time and we delivered consistently over many years. And that's where just a lot of people don't do it. They're, they're stuck in their little campaigns. They're stuck in their, oh, I've got to hit these quarterly numbers. And I'm always trying to focus on the long game. And I'm even talking to my team today, like we, we have a, the Tilt is a new startup company. I've got a lot of new people on the team and they're like, okay, well, we got to drive revenue. We got to do this. I'm like, no, no, no. First thing we have to do is we have to build a loyal audience. We have to deliver amazing information to that audience over a long period of time. And when we hit our number, our audience number, and we're getting enough qualitative feedback and enough quantitative information to say, we've got a significant audience, one that we can monetize, then we're gonna turn on the revenue jets. So, but it's hard, that's a lot of people don't have the patience to, to make those decisions. And uh, I mean, I've been through it before, so I can tell the team members that, no, this, this is the right way to do it. Uh, and once you've been through it, you sort of know, but yeah, I would say consistency, patience, grit. I mean, those are the things that, that I really admire when I look out at entrepreneurs out there. I mean, look at, look at Jeff Bezos and Amazon. 
Everyone wants to talk about how great Amazon is. Amazon sold books, only books, for three years. I love that story. That's just focusing on being great at one thing. He figured out all the things that was wrong with that, that process. He just sold books. He became the greatest bookseller on the planet. And then he launched CDs and DVDs, you know? <laughs> so I, I think a lot of people forget that, you know, you're taking a risk uh, by, by starting a business. But if you rush that business model, you're really going to be in trouble. So you've got to build in. And that's why, you know, if I'm going to give advice to entrepreneurs, this is where you really cut back your expenses. You know, you, you, you have to, you have to make sure you, you set up your lifestyle so that you can get through the tough times until you get to the time when you're really making it. So there's two things on the goal setting, the, the process of writing and reviewing my goals never change. The goals change. So when I, when I, when I'll accomplish a goal, I'll go ahead. Oh, great. Let's have a little party. Let's have a little celebration. We hit that goal. I've got to replace that goal, that goal with something else. Um, and something that hopefully is measurable. So that's, that's something that will continue on because we mature, our priorities change. Uh, something might happen in your personal life where you have to change something. So we wanna make sure we do that. From the business model standpoint, so what we do is, so you start with building on that one platform. So let's say that you have a podcast. So Martin, you and I both have podcasts. So we're gonna focus on building that podcast. And then when you get to a certain level where you're like, okay, we've got a large enough audience I call it a minimum viable audience. My friend Brian Clark at Copy Blogger says, called it, coined it minimum viable audience years ago. And that's different for every company. For us at Content Marketing Institute, our minimum viable audience was 10,000. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get to 10,000 opt-in email subscribers. And when we got to that level, I knew that that was enough that we could start monetizing. So I'm like, okay, we started with 10,000. Once you hit that minimum viable audience level, then you diversify one at a time. Mm -hmm. So we started with a blog, blog e-newsletter e combo, basically one and the same. So we started with the blog and e-newsletter and then did that for basically two years, two and a half years. And then in January of 2010, we launched our print magazine, Chief Content Officer. And then nine months later, 10 months later, we launched Content Marketing World, our event. And then two years later after that, we launched This Old Marketing, our podcast, and so that basically every 12, at least every nine, 12 months, because you can only, you only have so much content energy for these things. Mm -hmm. So you've got to, so once you've got something humming, like you've got a great podcast, you've got this humming, you could then outsource parts of that to other people. So they could keep that going. You do what you need to do, but you're outsourcing a bunch of other things, but then you're going to spend some of your energy on the new thing. So let's say you launch a virtual event. So you're going to have the podcast and then you have a virtual event series. So you're going to spend some time there. You're going to spend nine to 12 months over there doing that thing. And then you're going to say, oh, okay, well then that virtual event series is going to become an in-person event series that we're going to have in Croatia somewhere. It's going to be great. We're going to get everyone from Europe to come and to this event for entrepreneurs. Great. Now we built that. And then you're going to say, well, there's something missing. We've got to do something about entrepreneurs in Europe about focusing on there. Nobody's talking about this. 
So we're going to focus on this piece of research. And then every nine to 12 months, you're going to launch something new. And by the way, this is not rocket science. This is how every media company does it. Uh-huh. If, you, if you look at Financial Times, New York Times, BuzzFeed, Red Bull Media House, they all launch the same way. They just didn't go from having, oh my God, they've got amazing video and they've got this amazing blog and newsletter and print magazine. No, they launched it all one at a time. It's just that we don't realize how long it took the process of years and years of iteration to get there. So that's that's the diversification process. And then once you go from platform you build that audience and then you have this diversification of platform, that's when the revenue gets really interesting because that's when you get into business models of Amazon and let's take Disney. Disney's a great example because you say, okay, was Disney a product, a company, a service company, a media company? And the answer is yes, they sell all those things and they're so protected from anything that happens. And what happened in the pandemic teaches us this really well. If Disney only had only was a theme park business, they would have died. But what have they been working on for the last five, six years? This thing called Disney Plus and all these acquisitions that they made came together and they created Disney Plus. And now they've got over 100 million subscribers to this thing. And their valuation went through the roof because they've got a whole new business model that didn't just happen. That was part of the plan, but through the years, you could see it. They focused on film and magazines and comic books and merchandising and then theme parks and then television shows and then went through the whole thing and now Disney Plus. So that's how as entrepreneurs, when we're building these businesses and why you diversify, you do that to protect yourself so that it's not always great. All those things aren't running on all cylinders at one time. So some things are good at going well, some things not, not so well. And then you're always pretty protected as an entrepreneur because of it. How are you finding new colleagues, new employees, new, new, new people around yourself? So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so interesting. Um, How do you choose, you know, like... That's good person for a specific task or job or, or project or. So basically, um, I I probably do something that a lot of businesses don't do. I hire a lot of my friends. I, I work with because, first of all, trust is mm-hmm. more important to me than almost anything else. Second thing is attitude. If somebody has a really good attitude, positive attitude about something, they can pretty much be taught anything else. So whereas I know a lot of people that hire specifically for their experience and their talent level, which is, of course, very important, but not as important as attitude Uh to me. So that's what I'm looking for. I want to look for somebody that's motivated, that's that's very positive. And then I'll look for, okay, well, where are they at on the talent uh, area? Now, where I'm a little bit different and how we hire versus other people is I always start somebody on a contractor freelancer relationship on one project. Uh And this is how we started. So Content Marketing Institute just started my wife and I, and by the end of it, we had about 30 different people working on different things. And each one started by working on one small thing. So somebody started by working on, oh, I need somebody to handle the Twitter account. Can you do that? Can you spend five, 10 hours a week working on that? Okay, got somebody there. Well, then six months later, that person's running all the social media. Uh, well, then we had somebody coming in. Hey, can you write a couple articles for me? Great. 
Well, six months later, that pe that person's running all of editorial for us. Mm -hmm. And now, by the way, not all those relationships worked out. Sure. Because we knew we get all little test projects, and so you learn really quickly. I don't want to go and hire somebody all in until I know, unless unless they are a friend, unless I've worked with them for a long time. So I love that contractor freelancer relationship, and we would use that really well. So at the end of it, even though we had uh, about 29, 30 people working mostly full time for Content Marketing Institute, we probably had another 100, 125 people doing all kinds of jobs mm. that like small content projects here, social media projects here, in-person event things here. And I love that model and I, I just can't, see working in a different way uh, and expending the salary and the benefits and having the office and doing all those things that I really feel are, are unnecessary to do in the beginning. You know, when I started what became Content Marketing Institute in 2007, uh, we were also, we had a very young family at the time and my wife uh, decided, we decided as a, as a family that she was going to stay home, uh, raise the kids while I figure out how we're going to support the family. And when my children were old enough to go to school, for, so they were, you know, five, six years old, going to kindergarten, going into first grade, my wife was saying, okay, well, should she go back to work? She was a social worker. Should she do that? She had a wonderful job uh, with the uh, city of Cleveland working in, in the social work department. And I said, look, I think this thing is going to be big. Of course, you have an ego as an entrepreneur. And I said, would would you consider running operations? Because I know me, I'm a very, as we talked about, I'm a very strategic thinker and I'm not great on the day-to-day -day execution. And she is, and she can organize better than anyone. And I said, we would be an amazing team. I know we're an amazing team as a husband and wife. I said, but we can be as amazing team as a business as well. And, you know, there's been some good and bad stories about husband, wife teams working together. A lot of, a lot of times it doesn't work. I know friends that absolutely couldn't do that uh, with their, with their, with their husband, wife relationship, but we ended up giving it a try. Absolutely. The best thing content marketing Institute would have never been successful without her running operations and me being able to do what I thought was best for the growth of the comp company. So it's been a real family. And that's what I, I love about um, this type of business because we can really bring in friends and really have a, like, like in 2012, 13, 14, we took all of our employees and all of their families on a retreat together. And we could spend some time not working, but really getting to know each other and enjoying each other's time. So that was important. So that's the one sort of personal thing that, that a lot of people might not know. And then the other thing on the philanthropic side, so our oldest child was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So this is, you know, he was three years old and couldn't speak any words at all, nonverbal. And we were like, okay, uh, well, what are we gonna do about this? I'm a new dad, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. We didn't know what the problem was. So we, we were told, okay, He's, he's on the autism spectrum. He needs aggressive speech and play therapy. So we were lucky enough to have the funds to be able to go and hire some speech therapists to come in and work with, uh, with my oldest and get to a point where by the time that my oldest was eight years old, didn't have to have a tutor anymore. And now 
um, uh, he, his name's Joshua. Joshua will be a sophomore in university. So he's doing great. Everything's fantastic. So I'm very, very proud of him. But what we found out in the process was there are a lot of families that can't afford speech therapy mm-hmm. and insurance doesn't cover it. And so this whole process of going through and our own experiences, we found that there's a lot of hurt out there. And if there's a family that can't afford speech therapy, they're going to first and foremost feed their families. They got to put food on the table first. And secondarily, they're going to go get speech therapy. And then what happens is they can't afford it. So we created a foundation called the Orange Effect Foundation. And what we do is uh, we fundraise and, and then deliver uh, money to children and families who need speech therapy or technology that they can communicate with other people. So we've been doing that since 2007, a, a formal nonprofit uh, since 2014. And um, so that's kind of our personal philanthropic. And I really believe, and this is for all entrepreneurs, you know, if you're going to focus everything that you can on the business, you really did need something to offset it, like something that is not part of the business, something that you can take um you know, not all that focus on, I want to build my career or sell my business, but something that's not about you and about helping someone else. So that, that really, that really worked well for us. The business model for content creators. It's the book that I just wrote content Inc. It's the orange cover. Uh, you can get that anywhere, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, whatever the case is, but you can go to content-inc.com and get that. The new business, which is an email newsletter, all for content creators. So if you're interested in figuring out this thing, business model for content creation, just go to thetilt.com uh, and sign up. And then the nonprofit is theorangeeffect.org. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.